Thank you, Gil. Thank you very much for coming out. Michelle's here and it's her birthday. Um, I could be doing better things on my birthday than listening to myself. Um, so thank you, Michelle, for coming out. Um, it's good to be with you. I uh, do find this place uh, a place where I find great freedom. Um, the pulpit in here, for some reason, it just lets you go. And I've been doing um, uh, in Interruptions of Grace, uh, the theology of Bono. He came up with that phrase. Um, at least that's where I got the phrase from over the last two days and today we were on the cross and I have to say it blew my mind how seamlessly songs like Jerusalem with a shout um, I still haven't found and Grace moved into Philippians 2, Ephesians uh, Philippians 3, Ephesians 2 and Romans uh, 3 as well and uh, it was for me it was wow this is this is amazing theology so when doing tonight I'm really nervous in there on a lunchtime so um, everything's meticulously done and tonight I'm going to kind of do freestyle which might be scary because um, I might not have anything to say or I might have too much to say so um, so when we get to a point where Michelle thinks it's time to go and party for her birthday um, we'll, we'll bring it to a close so what we're going to do is um, I, I have a few songs set out here and um, I'm going to play a couple of songs in as kind of uh, leads into worship in some way and then we're going to look at the sermon and I'm going to take you to Belfast uh, where I'm from and then I'm going to bring you to not just Alabama but um, Alabama gets a mention in it um, and, and look at a couple of things that you two have done that's almost more a little sermon and then we're going to come out with a, an altar call but don't panic you'll not have to leave your seat so um, so that's what we're going to do and um, uh, the first song, because uh, I came over with five CDs and in the hotel I just started to uh, watch a few things and um, I haven't listened to U2 for a bit of a while. Um, nobody in Ireland wants to hear me talking about U2. In fact, shut up is what they, they say when I, when I begin to quote U2. So, um, so it's nice to be able to indulge uh, once every couple of years when I come away and talk about it. And today, the last few days... I've just been sitting listening and again mesmerized by the depth of the spirituality, the theology, the artistic intention, even if you don't see the theology and the spirituality of this band. They're not just singing songs that are good, they're singing songs that are incredibly good for something. Um, there's a new book out last year, at the end of last year, Bono did an interview um, with Gay Byrne from RTE, which is the Irish national television station. And they went personal. And um, that book is now out. Bono has a chapter in it. Sinead O'Connor, various other um, Irish um, celebrities. And um, it just uh, 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 in that book, Gay Byrne in the introduction says, you two wanted to be the best band in the world, the biggest band in the world. But they didn't just want to be the biggest band in the world. They wanted to be the biggest band in the world so that they could change the world. And I think that's just about it. I think um, for them, there's something more going on than writing songs. For them, since they were 17 or 18 and they found Jesus in their life, this has been missional. This has been a transformational um, way that they do things. We'll, we'll come to that a little bit later, actually. Um, but, but let's um, take you to the last um, tour. Um, I'm aware when I'm speaking here, I say things incredibly differently than you hear them. So today, I've, I asked them at lunchtime three words during the evening that are the funniest words to you or the ones you least understand. Just 
take them on board and come and tell me later. Today at lunchtime, the one that concerned me most was when I talked about pain. That's, that's hurt. It's not going to the restroom. But people seem to suggest that when I say pain, I'm going to the restroom. Those kinds of words that I say that you're just going to go, what is he talking about? Grace, that's not a country in Europe. That's a theological concept, you know? So, um, so we're going to go there, and if you find those words, write them down. Somebody handed me a list of them uh, earlier today. So we, we want to look at the 360 tour um, that I saw in Dublin um, uh, when, it, when it happened. And this is a song of uh, uh, the Line on the Horizon album that is definitely the, the most upfront worship song since probably Gloria. Uh, off the October album. That's where I come in. I got a, a record token when I was um, for my birthday in October, um, the year that album came out, and I went down and it was called October. It was October. It was my birthday. Duh. Um, so I remember taking it home, and as soon as I put Gloria, the, the needle on that vinyl and Gloria kicked in, they were my companions for the journey from then on. And um, And this is probably the most upfront worship song since that. And actually, when I heard it, um, Jack Heaslips, the chaplain of the band, um, he was one of their school teachers, um, became a, a Church of Ireland uh, minister, and he would go on tour with the band. He would be seen as their, he's married the guys when they get married, and he's looked after them. And, uh, and his son, Owen, is a worship leader. And, and there's just something in this that makes me think, did Jack just hand Bono Owen's last album, and Bono was listening to that when he came up with Magnificent. The other thing that I found in Magnificent is, maybe a couple of years later when I was watching Harry Potter with my daughter, there's a moment when, who's the good guy? Is he Dumbledore? Is he the, is he the, is he the good guy? He says to Harry, only love can leave that mark. Was Bono watching it with one of his children and picked that line up? Now let me say to you, that I was speaking um, after the Vertigo tour. I did a seminar at the Greenbelt Festival in England. And I was unaware, I knew he was at the festival because I'd spoken to him, but Willie Williams, who you might hear Bono shout out to later in one of these clips, he's the guy who does all the staging and the lights. Willie was down the back of the seminar. I'm glad I didn't know that because I wouldn't have said anything. But I, I, I happened to say during it as a throwaway, I said, um, crumbs from your table. Um, from How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, I said, they didn't do that in the Vertigo tour. It was the only song on the album that they didn't do. And I said to this audience, I said, maybe it's because it's geared to a Christian audience and they didn't want to put that out to a secular audience. And Wally was at the back sitting beside a friend of mine and he looked at my friend and he said, that's a lovely idea, but they just cannot get the rehearsal together. So I want to call tonight... Stockman's thoughts on you two that might be lovely ideas, but actually they might not just be able to get the rehearsal together. <laughs> so don't take me too seriously. But Magnificent is literally a worship song. And what I want you to see as we watch it, because you can't get this, you can't get most of you two from the record. You need to see it. Um, and when I watched this in Dublin, this is the song from that concert that stays with me the longest. Because there was a moment in it, and you'll see this as you watch Bono here. Everything could be in church. Everything is giving up. He's on a vertical the whole time. And there was a moment in Dublin when he, he just stood there looking up, singing this song, and said, I surrender. He's saying, I sing these songs not by choice. This is what he was made for. 
This is his vocation. They're for God. Life's about following God. This is what it's about. And it doesn't come across as sometimes modern worship does, which is a little bit otherworldly. It is worship to God, but it's rooted in brokenness and pain. And there's the pain word. (laughs) And vulnerability. It's got this connection that I think is really, really important. So here's an opening worship song. Um, If Gil can crank it up, it's uh, magnificent.
justify till we die um, from now and eternity. I don't have a choice. I'm singing the songs for you. Um, if you go to a U2 concert, it's always great. But if you understand the layers of what's going on underneath it, it's really, really great. And I am amazed at people who can be at a concert like that or see that and not see the intentionality of where Bono is coming from or question Bono's faith. We're going to go to Slane Castle, which is home, near enough. It's another country for me because I'm from Northern Ireland. And it's on the banks of the River Boyne, which is where the battle happened uh, 300 years ago that have caused all the trouble since. Most people get over their battles quicker than us, but 300 years later, we're still fighting away over that one battle at the Battle of the Void. And uh, Gil's having problems uh, finding the track, but that's okay. It's uh, uh, Yeah, there it is. So um, I'll come to a little bit more about this concert in a moment when we come to another song from it. But this is how they finished the Elevation Tour. And um, Elevation finished most nights with this walk-on and literally worship. The spirit is in the house. Um, Bono will say and they will sing hallelujahs together as a way to finish the concert. And um, walk on for me, um, for years I'd been, um, a Charles Swindle book actually, called Living in the Ragged Edge about Ecclesiastes. Um, was very influential to my understanding of not only Ecclesiastes but the world we live in. Where um, Swindle, and very pop kind of commentary, would say until we get the vertical right, the horizontal makes no sense. Until we see things from that eternal perspective, then the horizontal is very, very difficult. If you find yourself, I think, stuck in a moment, another U2 song is about that as well. That if we find ourselves stuck in a moment that we can't get out of, um, the only way to... If the horizontal is coming in upon us, on anything that happens in our lives, it's one of the releases is to see things from an eternal perspective. To have the vertical connection with God that gives us a whole eternal perspective and everything else. As a young uh, minister... I had um, a horrendous ordeal to go and visit someone who'd become one of my best friends who at 25 years of age had been told they only had a few months to live. And I was in my mid-twenties and really not sure how I could deal with that. And when I came into Glenda's uh, hospital ward and I sat down beside her and gave her some flowers that came from the youth group, she said to one of the nurses, these flowers are for you. And I said, no, Glenda, they're actually for you. And she said, no, she's getting married next week, and if I die before she gets married, she's getting all my flowers. And I sat while this girl ministered to me, because she said, if God is glorified in my healing, wonderful. But if God is glorified in my passing, wonderful too, because if you're going to spend eternity with God, what is a few years here on earth? And I, as the minister, learned enough to think that 25 years later I would share that with people across the world. She had a vertical relationship. She saw things with an eternal perspective that made sense of the present. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't some struggle and wrestling, and I'll say that word again, pain for her and her husband in that next number of years that she lived. But every ward she went on to, Every place that she went, 
she literally inspired everybody around her because God was glorified in her passing and in her eternity. So this song, I think, as I preached that Ecclesiastes idea, I got to this album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, and I listened to this and I thought, that's what I've been trying to say badly for 20 years and darn it, Bono has done it in this three minutes where everything you make, everything you fashion, it's, you've got to leave it behind. Because we're going on a journey. We're going to a place that has to be believed to be seen. Faith. The interruption of grace. Belief's the way to get to this place. The suitcase with the heart in the middle is all you can take on the journey. And if you listen to the last song and if you listen to U2's song, love most of the time has got a divine spiritual meaning. And so the suitcase that comes up right at the end of this, that's all we can take. All we're taking with us is our connection with God, the interruption of grace that has given us, justify till we die for now and forevermore. So what in our lives are we living for that are in the horizontal, maybe even closing in on us, that we need to get a different view of? And what is it that's in our suitcase that we want to cling on to? Was it an interview with The Edge where he was asked, this is only coming to me now. This is the problem when you have a deep reservoir of self-indulgent, too much time spent in you too. I remember being with is it Bruce Wilkie at Regent College and he, he has written two tomes on Proverbs. And I was listening to him on Proverbs thinking, I wish I knew as much about Proverbs as he did. If I hadn't spent so much time listening to you too, I might have this knowledge. And my friend said, yeah, but he's not speaking much about you too. So, so that's my indulgence. But I'm thinking of an interview with The Edge where he was asked, what would he go back into the house for if it was in fire? And he said, there's nothing in the house. There's nothing in the house. I have a lovely house, he said, but there's nothing in the house. What do we have to leave behind to reach the horizontal and the vertical? Walk on.
There's a moment there where Bono's, the home is where the hurt is. Slain Castle was, um, I think that's the DVD. If, if you want one, that's the one to get. It's the Elevation Tour and there is another Elevation DVD. But Slain Castle, I think, was quite unique in the whole U2 history. Um, they'd been doing the Elevation Tour. When they went off on that tour, they weren't the biggest band in the world. They had been, but they weren't. And when they finished it, they were again. And Slane Castle, just outside Dublin, that was the homecoming gig, and they'd waited a long time in Ireland for that gig to happen. And many things had happened around that. Um, Ireland had just qualified for the World Cup finals literally that day. I think maybe Larry was flown in in a helicopter from the gig, from the game. Um, so the crowd were going crazy because the Republic of Ireland have just qualified for the World Cup soccer. That's a big deal. They don't often do that, and that was something. Um, they're just coming back from that tour, for sure. But the hurt, the, the home is where the hurt is. His father has been buried that week. And beyond that, it's the first concert they've done in Ireland since the Oma bombing, which was in 1998. Four years after a ceasefire by dissident Republicans, which was the most horrendous... Um, violent bombing of our entire troubles and Bono was very moved by that Peace and Earth was written around that bombing and they were on RTE, the national television uh, doing a, a song or two that Christmas after the Oma bombing and they did All I Want Is You and uh, Peace and Earth with, with that whole 
event in mind. So, so there's an incredible amount of emotion um, in this entire uh, concert, and I think it makes U2's music fantastic. And I want us to continue with it for a moment, but I want to bring us into a bit of a theme here. Um, if you want the theology of grace, then I'm doing that at lunchtimes, and um, somebody was uh, listening to it earlier. You can now get it already. My voice online, that wasn't why MP3s were designed or discovered, I think, um, invented. But anyway, you can get those. This is taking it in another kind of direction. Um, I did a master's a few years ago on a master's in theology that looked at songs and social and spiritual transformation. And what I tried to do was I tried to work out um, what is it in songs that last or transform? Where could you find the formula, if you want? What's in them? And um, two things came together for me. I was at Regent College Vancouver doing a sabbatical before I started the Masters. And um, I was talking to Charles Ringma, who was doing Theology of Mission there at the time. And he said, you need to read James Cohn's book, The Spirituals and the Blues. It's a theology of the spirituals and the blues. So I noted that down and I got it sent home. And when I got home to Ireland, I read it. And as I was reading it, Bruce Springsteen went on tour um, with the Seeger Sessions album. Seeger Sessions being the civil rights songs of Pete Seeger um, that he Springsteen reinvented in some ways and did all these songs. Interestingly on the album there's five hymns and when they went to do it live they added two more hymns. So I'm asking myself why were songs, many of those spirituals that were actually written uh, in the plantations of the south and people not even expecting that they might get across to the next plantation, never mind across a century, to be sung by a white guy from New Jersey about the justice issues of his time. What would there have been in those songs? And so listening to those songs and reading Cohen's book, The Theology of the Spiritualism and the Blues, I found some things that I think make songs healthy for the soul. I believe in ipodic obedience. If Jesus is Lord of all, he should be Lord of the iPod too. I'm not saying you're not allowed a little bit of cheese in the burger. (laughs) But too much cheese will make you a very unhealthy chap or woman. So we need to be listening to things that are going to be healthy in what comes into our our lives. So I started to look at that. And one of the things that I'm going to think about for a moment with some of the music that's coming up is Cohen felt that music has an incredibly uniting force, which wouldn't be a surprise to those of us in a church building tonight. Because one of the most radical things about church is that you cannot, I mean, my friends who do it, bless their hearts, Steve, I just find God more in the mountains. Well, that's lovely, but it's not very biblical or healthy. The mountains are wonderful. We have some incredible mountains in Ireland, some beautiful coastlines, some amazing beaches. But none of them are as spectacular as what I'm looking at right now. Because when God made the giant's causeway and the mountains of Mourne, he said it was good. When he made you guys, he said you were very good. So to spend time with the peak of God's creation might be just better than the mountain. But the other thing about it is, mountains don't talk back to you. You don't have rows with the mountains. You don't need to deal with grace with the mountains. But when you're in community, 
you learn discipleship by how you treat one another and love your neighbor and love your enemy and love one another, etc. Anyway, I'm on a preacher's rant there, am I not? And so the unity of the uniting force of songs, the civil rights movement would say the songs. Uh, I'm reading Caroline um, McKinstry, Caroline Mall McKinstry's book, which is available in the bookstall here, and I think she spoke here recently, um, while I'm in the States. And it's a marvellous book of spiritual journey, Christian living, as well as what happened in your city that I'm trying to learn something about. And she talks a lot in that about the songs and the unifying power of the songs. Brian Eno, who, if you're a U2 nerd, um, you will know um, probably changed the course of U2 with the Unforgettable Fire and came in at the time when um, uh, Achtung Baby might not have worked and was the guy who took one. And that's an interesting way into this because one, uh, they had something but they didn't have enough. And Brian Eno, the producer, came in and he said, play that again, Edge. And the Edge played it again. And he said one more time, and as he played it again, Brian Eno played a, a kind of another uh, harmony tune out over it. And Bono was standing listening to it and said, Oh, we are one, but we are not the same. We are one, but we are not the same. And the song in the writing of it became that song of we are one, but we are not the same. Brian Eno, that's the guy. And Brian Eno says this, I believe that singing is the key to long life, a good figure, a stable temperament, increased intelligence, new friends, super self-confidence, heightened sexual attractiveness, and a better sense of humor. (laughs) But then he goes on more seriously. A cappella singing is all about the immersion of the self into community. That's one of the great feelings. To stop being me for a little while and to become us. Now, that's from a long time ago. But the you 2 nerds in the house will know that their most recent song released. Listen to that again. That's one of the great feelings. To stop being me for a little while and to become us. There is no them. There's only us. Bono's listening to his good mate Brian here. He said, if I were asked to redesign the British educational system, I would start by insisting that group singing become a central part of the daily routine. I believe it builds character and more than anything else encourages a taste for cooperation with others. This seems to be about the most important thing a school could do for you. So you move that then into the the rock genre and you find uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay saying that his upbringing in church inspired him. He said at an early age he felt the collective power of singing in church. Everybody singing together is the best feeling in the world which echoes what Brian Eno was saying earlier on. So singing together. You too, if you look right through their work, you will find this communal thing happening, encouraging people to sing together, even in the hallelujahs at the end of that, conning the world into worship, (laughs) just using the last song. We may finish with uh, 40 tonight if I don't rant and rave too long. But that psalm where crowds leave, the band leave the stage, the crowd are all singing in unity, they then leave the concert and into the streets of whatever city they're in, there's Psalm 40. And I'd love to hear the next tour, everybody leaving saying there is no them, there's only us as they uh, drag out into into the night. So you two have always been about this sense of unity. So I come to this moment at Slane Castle where I've said that 29 people were killed in the Omaha bombing 
and they're about to do Sunday Bloody Sunday. Now, Sunday Bloody Sunday, interestingly, you learn something every day about you two. And the Gay Byrne um, article I was reading, Bono's interview with that, I think it was that last night that um, I was reading, and it says that that moment when they were going to give up music because they'd been told by their church that it was a trivial thing and they should give up music and do something more important. Who told them that? Can we get that guy? Um, could you imagine if they'd listened to that? Could you just even... Um, what would their lives be like? Because I actually know the other side of it. At the same time, there was a band in Belfast called Moral Support. I mentioned this in the Walk On book. And they were the band that were kind of ahead of you 2 You two invited them to Dublin to spend a weekend with them to talk about faith and music. And they listened to their guy in church and they gave it up. And some of their lives went way off the rails because they lost their vacation, their reason for all that kind of stuff. But anyway, when you 2 had left the band, Paul McGuinness, or, uh, Bono and Edge left the band, Paul McGuinness was very clever and told them he didn't think Jesus would want them to pull out of the next tour that was already booked. And so they said, okay, okay, we'll do the next tour. And during that tour, this is what I learned last night, Edge started to come up with the idea of Sunday Bloody Sunday. And suddenly in the writing of that song, they discovered... This is our contribution. This is our contribution not only to music, but to Belfast. Bono would say, we weren't where the bombs went off, because they're not from Northern Ireland, but we were where the people who planted the bombs ran away to, to escape the British. So Ireland, Bloody Sunday, and there's a Bloody Sunday in 1921 in Dublin, as well as the one that we know about in the early 70s in Derry. So this troubled land had something they needed to sing about. And in that song, we can be at one tonight. That sense of unity was coming in right early on. And if you go home and listen to all the albums, you'll see those threads coming through. But this version of it, again, I think it's the most electric, most emotional version of it, because it's the response to Omar. And at the end of it, he actually goes through all the names of the people who were killed at Omar. And what he does in this is, he starts in the middle of this, and the Gay Byrne interview, he's asked, does he, does he go to confession? And Bono says, yes, I do. My songwriting is my confession. And Gay Byrne laughs, and he says, no, I'm not kidding. That's where I talk about and pray and do all the kind of stuff. And so in the middle of Bloody Sunday, he gets the crowd, watch this. Um, he gets them all to, sit, to, to start clapping their hands. Put your hands in the air. If you're the praying kind, turn this song into a prayer. And then we come out of that with this emotional, I'm from Ireland and when I see this at a big screen anywhere else in the world, I usually get a bit teary because I'm right home into the pain of home that he talked about and walk on. And then I'm going to, if the queen that I met last night doesn't mind, there's a little snippet of a song called uh, Walk On Dead Man that has got a little naughty word in it. And sometimes Bono uses naughty words when he really shouldn't. I'm not sure in this whether it's, he's got poetic justification in it, but listen to how after Bloody Sunday they go in to walk on dead man because it becomes this cathartic lament. And remember this is us as an island mourning a bomb that killed 29 innocent people in a little market town in County Tyrone.
daughter, Alan Radford, Fred White, his son, Brian White, Brian McCrory, Sean McGrath, 29 people, two minutes. One of the other's prophetic stimulants is catharsis, the blues, to go into the heart of our pain and find something in a song that might be a companion in the dark times of the journey. And if you're Irish, that still resonates in what we were going through at that time and some of the journeys we still go through that I haven't time to talk about tonight, though I could do that for a long time. I want to move us um, in the same theme into uh, back to uh, the Vertigo Tour, where I saw it. I actually saw it in Vancouver. I was under a little bit of pressure because for the update of uh, Walk On, um, <clears throat> which was finished in '85, I wanted to see the concert, and they wanted the book out. Um, and not long after the tour started, so um, uh, Relevant were demanding the book, and I was flying to Vancouver for a sabbatical, and I arrived into Vancouver, I think it was a Wednesday night, and I got tickets for the gig on the Thursday night, and they wanted the book by the Friday night, and I knew I had maybe 6,000 words to write about that concert that I was seeing the night before. So I got an essay extension, that was nice. I was able to send it to them on the Sunday night. Um, but I, I found that, Concert tour really powerful in this idea of unity. Everyone, when the when the gig started, you could hear these words 
ricocheting round wherever you were. Everyone. Everyone. In fact, you'll hear it again um, in the middle of the gig. I think the sermon part of this particular gig comes when they go into Pride um, about Martin Luther King and then into Streets and all the African flags come down. And we'll stop it there, but you could go into the, the trilogy would begin into one after that. And um, it's all about this sense of equality. And that's where you guys, the last one was about um, uh, Ireland. And uh, in the middle of, uh, just before streets, I think it is, he says from the, from the bridge at Selma uh, to the banks of the River Nile, from uh, the swamplands of Louisiana to the high peaks of Kilimanjaro, from Dr. King's America to Nelson Mandela's Africa, the journey of equality goes on. And I was pretty convinced, and I say it in the book, that this was all based around an African idea called Ubuntu. Ubuntu. U-B-U-N-T-U. I need to spell the words I say out to you because that helps. But when we were in South Africa, I spent a lot of time in South Africa during the last decade, and, and everywhere we went and we asked, how did this work? How did we create a rainbow nation? How did Nelson Mandela come out of Robben Island and not just say, let's get them? everybody would say this word Ubuntu and we would say, what does it mean? And they would say, well, it kind of means without you, I can't be me. Or I can only be me through you. And we kind of wrestled with this translation. We brought it home that summer of um, uh, whatever year that was that uh, atomic bomb came out. But about two months later, atomic bomb came out. Now in Ireland, for a long period, there was a, a tradition that the album came out at midnight on Sunday night because our chart placings work from Monday to Sunday. Yours albums come out here on a Tuesday. We get 24 hours longer than you. Um, so, um, and actually in Dublin they come out on Thursday. So um, if you were a real U2 fan, you were down in Dublin getting it on Thursday in the Republic of Ireland. But we were all midnight, midnight. So off we went. We, got the, we went down and got the album. I've been doing it since Joshua Tree because on the night of the Joshua Tree, the band appeared, which was pretty spectacular, and signed all our albums. They haven't done that since, but every, there's a rumour every time. Maybe they'll be in Dublin, maybe they'll be in Cork. Um, so we went down and got How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, brought it back up, and then we just lay around. I was the chaplain at the university at the time, and 12 or 13 of us just lay out and played it through the PA in the chaplaincy. Didn't speak a word until it was over. And we came to this one song. This one song we're not going to play tonight, but this one song, as we're listening, some of us had been in Africa that summer wrestling with the translation of Ubuntu, and suddenly this line came on, all because of you, I am. That's it. That is Ubuntu. But it's always so much more because the I am is the I am that Moses faced at the burning bush because when you bought the book, the book version of the album right in there, Moses at the burning bush, the I am, it's all there. He gives you all the clues if you look for them. But this idea of all because of you, I am. I cannot be me without you. Everyone. We need to be everyone. There is no them, there's only us, because if we want the fullness of our humanity. So, I'm from Balamina, which is like being from the Bible Belt. You would understand that, wouldn't you? Like Birmingham, maybe, or around here, Balamina is the buckle of the Bible Belt. So I need to sieve everything through the Bible. It needs, is it sound theologically? So this Ubuntu kind of South African tribal idea, could it be, and I went, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And your neighbor is yourself. Who are we in the identity of who we are? What does the Shema say? What is that golden rule? What is the most important command? To be identified as human, you need to be connected with God and neighbor. All because of you, all because of you, I am. And I think these songs express that most in this particular concert tour. It's about equality. The journey of equality goes on and on. You can't be you. Romans 12, in the body of Christ, each belongs to all the others. I belong to Gil. I belong to Bob. Bob belongs to me. Because it's about community. Not out there worshipping with the mountains. We can't be who we are without community. Leading to that time when there is no them. When all the nations of the earth will gather round that throne and sing to the Lamb who was slain. Here we go for a bit of a bintu from Vertigo, Pride. I think you have to do it at the side. Yeah, there we are. working, isn't it?
never. And when these when these flags come down, it's just like it's about Belfast. It's about everywhere. tie it up with a quotation about commitment and play Yahweh, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, questions then. Yeah. Well, we could do that, actually, yeah. after but the turning the, those walls Belfast and the walls it's uh, now this was uh, 2005 
And we were back in Belfast, if you hadn't uh, caught on. Um, <clears throat> somebody said to me last week, I speak now as much in peace and reconciliation and the regeneration of the city when I come to Amer- uh, North America now as much as I do uh, about you too. And somebody asked me last week, how in the... Oh, goodness me, is that the recording one or is that the... Uh, just hold it there for me, Bob. <laughs> You'd be a lovely music stand. Uh, microphone stand. Um, how do we know in Belfast what the other is because we're all white and the streets give it away or your name I, uh, I was the university chaplain I used to sit at graduation and beside the Catholic chaplain and we used to laugh because you would have um, Seamus Malachy Mahoney and then you would have Charles Edward Stewart I mean you just could tell by the name whether somebody was Protestant or Catholic but the streets where are you from? Falls Road, Shankill Road, Newton Ards Road, Andersonstown Road. This song started, I think, when he was out in Ethiopia um, in the mid-80s, but Belfast is very much in there. A place where the streets have no name for us would be a very uniting rather than dividing place. But we've, uh, we're going to have a few questions in a moment, but I want to take you out. Bono's good mate is Bob Geldof. They went to see the Pope together. They were going in to see the Pope. Bob said to Bono, what am I doing going in here when I don't believe in God? And Bono looked at him and said, I write. Because Geldof's an interesting character. He would want to say he was atheist agnostic, but he also says in his biography in 1984, when uh, the world needed fed, particularly Ethiopia, God looked down and thought, there's a scruffy punk from Dublin whose first single was I don't like no charity, I'm looking after number one, I'll choose him to feed the world. And Geldof saw this news item and rang his friend and said, we should write a song, we'll maybe make £100,000 and feed some people in Africa. And he said within a year he had 25 or 30 747 jets on a runway full of food to take to Africa. And he came to Queen's University to speak and um, he, he gave us this quotation that he was sent during his time in the middle of Livian. Now my uh, chaplaincy administrator wrote him a letter at that time to kind of convert him to Jesus. But for some reason um, Bob didn't put that on his wall. Um, but he, he put this on his wall. It's a quotation by a mountaineer called W.H. Murray. Probably Scottish with a name like that. And this is what it says. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness concerning all acts of initiative and creation. There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits, then providence moves too. It's Calvinist. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen events, meetings, material assistance, which no one could have dreamt would have come their way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets, whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. 
boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. Now I can tell you that those things in my life that I think are of God, they're not everyday occurrences, the big ones. He's there all the time, but sometimes you just go, oh my goodness, what happened there? This expresses it. I had a cup of coffee with my Catholic priest friend in his presbytery. That's what they call their months. I like that. I like as a Presbyterian being in a presbytery. We had a cup of coffee and we thought we should start a little festival to get people coming across Belfast and meeting other people. And, and yeah, how do you do that? We met a few other people and we put a festival together and now the second festival's done and people are coming to us saying, people met across this that you would not even believe. We did a music night that I'll not explain the intricacies of because you would need too much, uh, too many lectures to understand where it is. But at the end of this concert event that my congregation did in a Catholic uh, monastery in the Falls Road, uh, this guy came up and they started talking about one of the songs. And um, it turned out that the guy who came up to my member of my congregation was uh, an ex-IRA paramilitary. And the guy in my church said, you know, my grandfather was killed by the IRA in King's Mills. And the IRA guy said, well, I want to personally apologize to you for that happening. And this conversation went on. That has happened in our two festivals that Father Martin and I sit literally at every event going, how did that happen? What the resources that we've been given, the meetings that have happened, the events that have sprung forth of just a cup of coffee and a let's begin it. So I don't know what it is, but how would you begin to do what God's asking you to do? Don't come up with a final plan. Don't come up with a scheme of the scheme of the financing. Don't come up with a team you need to put it together. Just begin it. Because when you take that first step in following all kinds of things called providence, Bob, that's the Holy Spirit. Magic, that's miracle. That's transcendence, Bob. But it happens. So maybe tonight, I don't know who you are, most of you. Is there something you just need to begin? I'm going to finish with Yahweh and then we'll have a few questions. But take this as the closing hymn and maybe ask yourself, what do I need to begin?
It's not often at the biggest rock and roll hedonistic concert by the biggest band on the planet that their last words are, take this heart and let it break. That's a prophetic upside down kingdom. Thank you very much. I've talked so long that I've uh, almost run out of time for questions, which might be the best thing that could happen to me. But if you have a few, uh, I'm willing to try and answer. The last time I was here, the first time I was here, people started answering for me, and I'm up for that as well. So any questions or thoughts? done a beautiful job talking about YouTube's theology. Can you talk a little bit about their anthropology, particularly how it was expressed back in the 90s with songs like Playboy Mansion off Pop or Acrobat off Oxygen Baby, and how that then plays into uh, what they sing about now? That's a, that's a whole other book. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's one you could write. I mean, I, I think um, the best way to describe that difference between um, I suppose the 80s, the 90s, and then I call it the noughties or um, whatever the first decade of a, um, a, a new um, century millennium is. Um, it seems to me that Bono would say, and I got this quotation, this is so annoying when you write books, you get the quotation about three months after the book is done. And uh, I love that. He said that in the 80s he talked about what he believed in. And in the 90s, he talked in many ways about what he didn't believe in. Or in other words, I think a better way to describe it, T-Bone Burnett, um, who's done some soundtracks, um, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and various others. Um, T-Bone would have said that you can do, as a Christian, you can write two kinds of songs. Uh, Songs uh, about the light, and songs about things you see from the light. And it would seem to me that the 90s are very powerfully prophetic U2 period where Zoo TV, um, where they conjured that during um, the, the, um, during the, the bombing of Kuwait, I think, where they were sitting watching Axoset missiles for the first time in television, you could watch war live. And they were thinking, what has television done to the human race? And so they decided, we're going to go out there and kind of talk about what television and the media has done. So that whole concert tour was the TVs. I remember I had a bad experience. Uh, really ended really well, but was bad. My wife didn't tell me she had tickets for the concert until we were at the, um, the stadium. Uh, she told me I was going to the movies, and I really didn't want to go to the movies. And I was really angry and humpy. And then when we got there, she said, here's a ticket for you too. World swallow me up. But I, I remember like 20 minutes later, these televisions going off in Earl's Court just everywhere. And you were thinking, this is the world we live in. And all these slogans were going up, and it was about what the world was doing to the human being at that point. And Pop Mart was then about what? Commercial. Um, the whole idea of what we buy. who We buy so we are. We shop so I am. That kind of thing. And I, and I think, therefore, they were looking at, at all the things that were... Um, and, and in the midst of that, um, there was nothing less biblical about some of the stuff they were doing, but it was really clear that they were saying watch this, see what's happening to you. Let us expose on a stage what is happening to humanity at this period of history. And, try and That's not a, a long answer to what you're saying, but, but I, I think that's what they were trying to do. And those are very... Um, when I wrote the book, those were the difficult uh, years because the Christians didn't understand that. Oz Guinness, who's a, a Christian thinker, says, most Christians would die rather than think. In fact, most do. And... Um, and I think that's particular about you too, that when they started to sing about other stuff from the light, then people are going, oh, it's not Jesus per minute. We don't want to, um, we don't want to have that kind of stuff. But I think those are very, uh, very profound 
albums and particularly uh, concerters because you see what they're doing when you have Willie Williams doing all that kind of stuff. And interestingly, um, the TV thing. Willie Williams um, met them at the Greenbelt Arts Festival. It's a Christian festival in England and they came down on a train in 1981 from a Newcastle where they were doing a gig and, and played uh, Greenbelt. And we've always wanted them back ever since. But uh, Bono has appeared at the festival as a steward but never, never performed again. But uh, Willie met them at that and he was just a guy from the youth club in some place in England but he was at Greenbelt doing lights. But at that point before Zuropa there was a big movement in, in youth work in, in the UK where people were starting to use televisions all over the place. And I think Willie brought that idea in. And, and Popmart was just, there was a lemon that they came out of and in Rotterdam it broke down and they had to humbly back out the back of the lemon rather than come down. But that was, but I think that's what they were trying to do and I think they did it very successfully if you were watching and listening. Because if you're not watching listening to you two, it's great, but you miss what he's throwing out that we need to... Sorry, I mean, I would need a, a long time and I'd even have to go back and look at all that before... I have to get my book out. And re... there, there's a few in the house where maybe we could see what I said, you know. Um, but there we are. If that's the level of the questions, I'm glad. I, it's a great question, but... Could somebody ask me what track three off the first album was or something? <laughs> any, any others? As good as that one or... Invisible. Well, I, th I think it comes out of some of the stuff we've seen tonight because um, that idea of people being invisible in the third world or anywhere in our communities, and Bono's taking it from their perspective, and he's saying there's more to me. You know, that there's there's people who were ignoring and were walking past, and that's that, that I think eventually saying that when the kingdom comes in its fullness, because it's coming as we speak, but when it comes in its fullness, there'll be some people there that we'll have missed and. And there is no them, there's, there's, there's only us. He's trying to say, uh, we're connected. It's the Ubuntu thing again. We're connected with all these people that we're ignoring. And we shouldn't be ignoring them because as the human race, they're God's creation. Redemption's a whole other issue that we could have all kinds of theological debates about. But at the bottom line is that, that we have, a, 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 under God, we have this um, need to be looking out for those people that we have made invisible wherever they are whether they're in Belfast or Birmingham or uh, Africa or, or whatever else and uh, I, I'd love to see how they do it live I, I think it's got all the makings of that last song where everybody sings but I don't know where we are now because they've stepped back from the, the hype and there's something wrong in the camp and I don't know whether it'll happen this year there was rumours this morning it's June the 14th and then somebody says that's an April Fool and uh, there's, there's crazy things going on in the U2 camp. I dreamt that it was out this morning. Last night, I dreamt that Gil and I went and found a copy and tonight we were talking about the new album and then I woke up just devastated. <laughs> devastated. <laughs> devastated. But, uh, so I... We have a surprise for you. Oh, no! <laughs> Bono's coming in there with the album! <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Any more? Or do we want to... Just go out with 40. Would that be? Oh, that, well, David. Steve, I'd just like to uh, remind everybody that you are a, a preacher and to come back tomorrow for lunch. And, uh, I need you as my tour manager. <laughs> um, we've been having a good time at the lunchtowns. Yeah, we've been, ha we've, been having a, we've been having a good time at those lunchtimes. And tonight's been a bit of a freestyle. But uh, yeah, to, we've looked at... Um, uh, Bono is this great phrase of grace interrupting, love interrupting, and I think it just is so insightful into 
what grace is. And so yesterday we looked at uh, the God's interruption and the incarnation, the word becoming flesh. And today we looked at the cross and how that interrupts the karma. Bono says if it's karma, he's back as a frog. Um, and um, just how karma, uh, grace lives outside of karma, as the song Grace said. And we, we looked at all of that. And tomorrow we're going to have some resurrection and ask, okay, what does this grace look like when we start living it out, when, um, when we start to take it onto the streets and we become God's handiwork for grace interruption around us? So if you're around at 12 o'clock, I promise it's only 20 minutes, so you get the cheaper, um, shorter deal and you can stay for lunch and it would be great to see you there. But um, let's finish with Psalm 40. You can leave if you wish, but uh, if you are leaving, you need to sing this on the way home. That would be the only thing we need to ask you. But thank you for coming out. I will be around for... A little while after, if you want to chat, and um, thank you very much. It would have been a, an awful night for Gil and I if we'd been just chatting together. Well, we would still have done it and still enjoyed it, but it's nice for you to come out. Thank you very much. I would love to do that. Let me uh, pray a benediction. I pray often, and um, you can take it out with you. God, give us faith to believe the truths that we've been listening to tonight and the right at times in our lives to ask why. Give us joy in life's fulfillment and the right at times in our lives to cry. God, give us the strength to carry one another and the right at times to be the one who wilts. God, give us your grace towards your holiness and the right at times to confess our guilt. Father God, show us a bigger picture of who you and we are. Jesus, play us a longer song. Holy Spirit, put us on a road that's straighter and deeper and more eternal than the one we've been on. Amen.